excited for 2023? You should be. Hey, let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church today? Amen. Well, hey, I'm glad you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as the senior pastor at BT Church. And I have the privilege of taking us into God's Word for a few minutes today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we will be. As you turn there, let me celebrate a few things with you today because we believe in a culture of celebration at this church. And so uh, I want to celebrate our commitment to missions, right? Let's celebrate the fact that we want to continue to go to the ends of the earth And so I'm excited for all the ways that we'll engage in missions in 2023. In 2022, we went on various trips, and last year we also sent over $450,000 to missions locally and globally. And this year we have budgeted an increase above that. So this year, Lord willing, we'll give $490,000 to missions locally, helping those in need right here and across the world. Uh, And we also want to celebrate all of our VIPs one more time. This is your first time with us. So glad you're uh, worshiping with us in the room or online. Let me say this again. If it is your very first time, I want to invite you to text us. Uh, Text the number 97,097,000. Type the word BT. VIP, one word, no space, and you're going to get a form, ask you to fill that out, and then someone from our team will contact you to answer questions you might have about our church and uh, give you some more information of how to get connected here. So, so glad to have you. I mentioned possible VIPs online. We want to celebrate our BT Online family. BT McAllen, make some noise for those watching online today. And then last week, first Sunday of the year, first day of the year, by God's grace, we are already able to celebrate as a church four salvations. We had three last week, one at 9 a.m. in Alice this week, four people saying yes to Jesus, amen? And we also celebrated three baptisms here in McAllen last week, and check it out, we got two at the end of the service today. And so we just love to celebrate uh, the work that God is doing. What I want to do today for just a few minutes is I want to talk about what is the motivation for missions, both as a church, but also as individuals. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, a son or a daughter of the Most High, then then you have an obligation to be on mission, just like the church as a group does. And so what is the motivation or what are motivations for missions, I just want to say this, if you're already getting your lunch reservation set up on your phone or you're uh, you know, about to take a nap, you're going to miss a really good sermon, just want to say that. But if that's going to happen, let me just tell you this. The number one reason, because here's the deal, I've, I've worked in, church for, in churches for over 20 years, and, and, and sometimes there are, there are people uh, that, that are like, hey, let's go, we don't do enough, we've got to do more, and, and you know, we need to give more and go more. But then sometimes there are people, and I don't think it's from a, a bad place, they, they, they wonder, why do we do it at all? Like, why are we sending all that money across the world? Why are we going to Togo, West Africa? There's people right here in McAllen or in South Texas where our campuses are. There are people right here who don't know Jesus. Why don't we just start here? And I want to share with you three motivations for why both across the street and across the world matter for every church of Jesus and every believer in Jesus. But if I was going to put it in a sentence, it's this. If you have received Jesus, you have been saved on purpose. It is not an accident that God called you to himself and you responded to the call of the gospel. You've been saved on purpose, you've been saved with a purpose, and you've been saved 
for a purpose, right? And so we, we engage in the mission. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 gave what we call the Great Commission, which is not simply for professional Christians, right? People who work at churches or are missionaries. It's for every believer in Jesus. And the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, literally means learners, make people who learn more about me as you learn more about me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Not, not of the one you live in, not, not, not of, of, of the, the city, but, but make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just in case you, dis, you get discouraged, take heart because I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the mission of every church. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Acts chapter 1 and the first 11 verses. It's a pretty well-known passage, and I want to talk about what I believe to be three motivations for the church and the believer uh, to be engaged in a missional lifestyle. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Luke is writing this. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to, to, to do and teach until the day he was, taking up, he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke is saying, he wrote the gospel of Luke, by the way, right? That makes sense. And he says, I wrote that other book, that narrative, that story. I wrote that about everything Jesus did in his life. In verse 3, Luke writes, after he had suffered, that's the crucifixion of Jesus. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke says, I wrote in my other letter, my narrative, my gospel, what I wrote there was everything Jesus did leading up to when he suffered and he gave himself up and was crucified to when he rose from the dead and then for a 40-day period of time, the resurrected Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. That's the opening to this, really, the book of Acts, by the way, is a history book of the church in the first century. It's what it is. And he opens by saying, I already wrote about what Jesus did, the fact that he died, he rose again, and he appeared. And in these three verses, I see the first motivation for missions as a church and as an individual. And it's this, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is indeed a motivation to be missional. Pastor and author Tim Keller wrote a book called Reason for God. If you're looking for something to start the year with, great book to pick up. And in his book, Reason for God, I paraphrase, but Tim Keller says this. If Jesus rose from the dead, if you believe that to be true, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you must accept, we must accept everything he says. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? Well, what is Tim Keller saying? He is saying that the resurrection of Jesus is the central point of everything we place our faith in. Beloved, if you need a motivation to support a missional movement as a church and as an individual, there is no greater motivator than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are two aspects of the resurrection that should motivate us, and the first one is what Pastor Keller is saying. It's the reality you catch that? I think sometimes, some of us, we've been in church a long time, right? And the resurrection of Jesus, it kind of becomes commonplace. 
But let, let me, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a little bit today, so I'm just, you know, slide your toes under your chairs. But think about the fact that there are so many, listen, you know, we, there are so many people in churches today that have said yes to Jesus, that believe in him. But when it comes to what he has said we should do with our lives, like I'm not going to preach on it today, but, you know, w- w- one of the topics that gets the most emails is any time I talk about money. Oh, you know, whether it's, oh, you're just talking about money again or, or you know, you're, you're being a legalist, or you know, you're, why you want to make us feel guilty? But, but, but we we want to question what Jesus clearly said about money, or what Jesus clearly said in support of what the God the Father had already said about human sexuality, or or marriage, or fill in the blank. And so we question what Jesus has said because maybe culture or our own selfish desires goes against it, but we want to believe that he is for us and wants to bless us and and wants to get us to heaven. But think about this fact. How silly is it to believe a man rose from the dead and then not take him seriously in other aspects of teaching? If, 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 listen to me, if someone rises from the dead and we believe that to be true, we're going to listen to what they say. The reality that he rose, that's what Luke is writing. He didn't, he, he rose and he didn't hide himself. He presented himself to many people. I think it's interesting, by the way, this is just for free, my own commentary. When you read about the resurrection of Jesus, almost every time he appears to someone, they don't immediately recognize him. That's interesting, right? I mean, these are the people that literally had spent years following him. He shows up and and Mary, not his mother, right, different Mary, she thinks he's a gardener by the tomb. And, And she's like, hey, if you just tell me what you've done with the body, I'll get it. And then he calls her by name, Mary, and she realizes it's him. It's like there was something different about him she didn't quite get, but, but she heard the voice. There, there's a story in, in Luke 24 about two guys. One's name's Cleopas and the other guy's unnamed. You don't want to be that guy. Don't be the unnamed, unnamed guy. Like, make a difference, right? <laughs> it's Cleopas and the other guy. And they're on the road to Emmaus, it says in Luke 24. And Jesus appears. He's with them. And they don't know who he is. Now listen, the Bible doesn't specify this. Let me be clear. This is just my belief. We know that he had the scars in his hand and his side because he revealed that to Thomas. So we know that there were similarities he carried from his crucified body. But why were people, now maybe the Holy Spirit just kept their eyes from seeing them. But why, why were people not sure of who he was until he spoke? Because I believe Jesus resurrected with his glorified body. See, the Bible says we're going to get a glorified body one day. And I don't know all of what that means. I, I, I believe we're going to know each other in heaven. But it may be one of those things where when we first see each other, I'm like, hmm, I know that might be. And then Nick's going to be like, hey, what's up, Doc? I'm like, oh, it's Nick. <laughs> ah, the voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's making its way across the room here. Hold on. But, but there is, listen to me, it sounds real simple, but we, we don't have to make everything complicated or super spiritual. One of the motivators for being missional, for taking the Great Commission seriously as a church and as an individual is because Jesus rose from the dead, and a simple part of that is do we really believe it? 
Because if we really believe it, as Pastor Keller said, then we have to believe everything he said. And, and yes, that applies to our view of sexual ethics. That applies to our view of finances. But you better believe it applies to the way that we go about the primary mission of the church, which is making disciples. But it's not just the reality of the crucifixion, of the resurrection that Jesus rose again, but there's a response to it. In Luke 24, when, when Cleopas and other guy are walking to Emmaus and Jesus shows up, and he's like, you know, they're kind of sad. And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. This is not word for word. And he says, hey, guys, why the long face? And they're like, well, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know this. I don't know what rock you're living under. But Jesus of Nazareth, he's just been crucified. And we had followed him. We thought he was the guy. I mean, we were convinced that he, he did all these signs and wonders. His teaching was on point. But then nonetheless, as great as he was, just like everybody else we believed in, the Romans got him and killed him. They got him and killed him. And it says, Jesus began to teach them everything in the scriptures, now don't miss this, concerning himself. Listen, there are so many, the beauty of the, of the scriptures is there are so many things to study. And, and sometimes we go through seasons of life and we get more kind of passionate and we want some more information about certain subjects. That's great. You, you can study the end times, right? The end of the book. You, you can study the story of creation. That, we, we can study the, 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 the monarchy of Israel. We can, great things to study. Listen to me. But we should always study the scripture, no matter what it is, concerning how it relates to Jesus. Because if we're not studying part of the Bible about how it relates to Jesus, then we're just getting some information. He begins to teach, not, not just kind of blanket teaching. He taught them concerning himself. And then they, they kind of get to a stopping point. In Luke 24, and they begin to have breakfast, and then it says that their eyes were opened, and they saw it was Jesus. And then it's like a cruel joke, and then he takes off. Like, he's like they're like, you know, the eyes are open, like, Jesus! And he's like, peace out, I'm out of here. He just disappeared. I mean, he's gone. But the Bible says, after he was gone, they looked out one another and said, did our hearts not burn within us as he taught us the scriptures? Because of the reality of the resurrection, if we believe this to be true, then when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, when we hear about the resurrection of Jesus, when we read about the resurrection of Jesus, something inside of us should be burning. It's Romans chapter 5 verse 8 where the apostle Paul would say this, but God has demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Motivation for missions is that Jesus died before we figured it out. He died because we couldn't figure it out. He died because we could not pay the debt of sin, the record held against us. We could not be good enough, go to church enough, get baptized enough, say the right things, have the right family heritage. We need a savior. His name is Jesus. And the fact he died for our sins and rose again is a motivator to be about what he has told us to be about. The resurrection of Jesus, plain and simple, is a motivation for a church and an individual to be about missions. Let's keep reading. It says this in verse 4 of Acts 1, while he was with them, being the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, 
you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The second motivator for us to be missionally minded is responsibility. We have a responsibility because of the resurrection to be missionally minded people. So Luke opens the the, the narrative here talking about his first book. And then he transitions in verse 4. And he says that while Jesus was with them, he told them, hey, don't leave town. And he says, you've heard me speak about this. John, John the Baptist, he baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now, let me say there are differences of opinion on what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about my personal belief, and just to be candid, because it's my personal belief, it happens to be a belief that we hold at the church, right? You may disagree with this. I have close friends who do. I'm not offended. Please don't be be offended that I'm saying something different, but I happen to have the microphone today. So it can be a confusing subject. What does it mean, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of water? Well, what we believe is that scripturally, Water baptism is something that takes place after you say yes to Jesus, right? We're going to have two people do that today. Baptism doesn't make you saved. You do that because you have been saved. It is an act of obedience of a new believer, right? But what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe that the whole of the New Testament teaches us this, that when you say yes to Jesus for salvation, at that moment, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily at a later point in time. Now, these disciples, listen to it, it can be confusing. Remember, this is the church age, the first first church is being formed. They had trusted in the resurrected Jesus, and he is now sending the Holy Spirit, which he had already said he would do, by the way. Jesus, before he was crucified, said, look, I'm going to go away. It's actually good news that I'm going away because when I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. This is the promise that he spoke of. But once the Holy Spirit had been sent to the believers, I believe the New Testament speaks to the fact that in the fullness of Jesus, when we say yes, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And so upon salvation, we are baptized in the Spirit, but it's through obedience that we stay filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? You, you cannot walk in the fullness of the Spirit, beloved. You, you can walk in your selfish desires. You can walk in disobedience, and you have access to the Spirit. You're just not walking in His fullness. It's like my kids. I have four kids, and my older two are teenagers right now. And as, as teenagers, they, they, listen, my children have full access to my resources. But now that some of my kids are getting a little bit older, sometimes they think they want to operate in their own resources. They got some resources. But eventually they realize that in certain situations, their resources will not cover them for what they want to do. So they got to come back to mom and dad, right, to get the fullness of those resources. Just because they try to do it on their own doesn't mean that they're not still my child and don't have access to me. Does that make sense? When you say yes to Jesus, the fullness of the Spirit is deposited in your life. So he says, Jesus says, hey, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. You're going to receive the Spirit. And then the disciples do what Christians do best. They change the subject. Hey, are you, so you're restoring the kingdom now because 
this Roman rule has not been good. So is this, and it's a great question, but what does Jesus do? He redirects. He says, listen, listen, you don't need to be worried about the father's times that have already been decided that he hadn't told you about. It's a need-to-know basis, and when you need to know, you'll know. So let me tell you about something else. You're going to be my witnesses, right? So so just follow the progression. Hey, remember John? Yeah, okay, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you're going to, no, okay, that's great, Jesus, but but what about the kingdom of Israel, like, being restored on earth? Like, that's kind of what we thought was going to happen. Don't worry, that's the Father's job. But let me tell you what you're going to, you are going to, he doesn't, notice he doesn't say, you, man, I would appreciate it if you guys would be, if you would think about, he says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, their hometown, to all of Judea, the larger area, to, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus says the word witnesses, that Greek word is the word martyr, which is where we get the English word martyr. Someone who dies for a cause. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, you know why I'm going to give you power? Because you're going to do things beyond your ability. You'll actually care for things besides yourself. Because let's just be honest, without Jesus, we don't do that well. He says, you're going to do things beyond your ability, so I'm going to give you some power. But I'm not giving you that power to just terminate upon itself. One of the problems of Western Christianity is churches in America filled with Christians that just want to show up and get filled and happy and fat on the word, but not do anything with it, right? Let's show up and feel good about it, but we're not going to go and do anything with what we've received. And Jesus says, you're not getting power just for you. You see, to quote the great theologian, Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Some of you are like, I, you lost me, sorry. We've been given power, but the power comes with a responsibility, and it's not simply for our own lives to be benefited. He says, you're going to get power because you'll do things beyond your ability because you will, be, you will give yourself up for me. And I want you to go across the street. I want you to go across the town. And I want you to go across the the, the state. And I want you to go across the country. And I want you to go across the world. We have a responsibility. And why is that responsibility so critical? Let Let me say something that is not popular today in society. But sadly, it's not popular in church. You know why it's so critical? Because there's a coming judgment. There's, there's a coming judgment. And to go back to what Tim Keller says, that if we believe that Jesus did indeed resurrect, that, that he rose from the dead, right? And, and, and this is why that's a big deal. Let me just reference that one more time. The reason why that's such a big deal, because other people in the Bible came back from the dead, right? You, you remember a guy named Jairus. A guy named Jairus had a sick daughter, and he asked Jesus to visit her. But Jesus got there late because there was a woman that had internal bleeding and she got healed, which was good for her, bad for Jairus, because when Jesus got there, his daughter was dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. They kind of laugh him off. They're like, you may know how to teach, but you don't know dead people. That girl's dead. And he goes and he takes her by the hand, which, by the way, culturally, if you touched a dead body, you were considered unclean. This is after a woman with an internal bleeding issue touched his robe. By the way, if someone with a blood issue touched you, you were considered unclean. 
But when the woman touched Jesus, he didn't become unclean, she became clean. And when he grabbed the daughter by the hand, he didn't become unclean, she came back to life. There's another story of Jesus' close friend Lazarus, and they send word to Jesus, come for Lazarus is sick. And what does Jesus do? Jesus had to have been from the valley. Brother was late, right? He shows up late. All right, I'm back. We're friends again. Okay, so he shows up, and they, the, the other friends, they give him a hard time. They're like, and what's amazing is they believe Jesus could do something about him being sick. They just didn't know if he could do something about him being dead. And we give them a hard time. Look, they were figuring it out on the fly, okay? And he shows up, and they're like, Jesus, if you'd have just gotten here before. But now he's dead. The, the old King James says that he stinketh. Modern, he's dead, dead. And then everyone's favorite memory verse, Jesus wept. Two words, right? But then, what, then he calls him out, Lazarus, come on out of that grave. Why, why did I go back to that? Because I don't want you to miss this. Those are amazing miracles. But do you know why the resurrection of Jesus stands above that? Because Jesus took Jairus' daughter by the hand and gave her life and he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus and Jairus' daughter were resuscitated. No one took Jesus by the hand or called him out of the tomb. He called himself out. He called him. He's the, he's the source of that power. And so to go back to what Tim Keller says, if we believe he actually rose from the dead on his own power, then we've got to believe everything that he says. And if we're going to believe everything that he says, then we have to understand that judgment is a reality because Jesus said a lot more about hell than he said about heaven. Now, hear me. I'm not saying the result is that we stand on the corner of Trenton and 10th with signs that say turn or burn. It, it is his, it's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. It is not fear of hell that generates true salvation. It's the love of God regenerating a heart. That being said, you cannot claim the love of God if you do not understand the reality of condemnation in, a, in an eternal place called hell. Because there is coming judgment for everyone who doesn't know Jesus. And they're not going to figure it out on their own. He's going to reveal that to them, but he's using an army called the Church of Jesus. And we are enlisted soldiers with power. We're not, sending, we're not sent to the battlefield without the necessary power. The question is, are we taking up the responsibility? And I praise God that we're a church that cares across the street. We're opening physical campuses. We're, we're, we're getting into the neighborhoods. We're in the schools. I mean, we're, we are, we, we've had people reach out to Peter, our community engagement director, and they're like, how did you get in those schools? We're like, God just opened a door. Like, we're like in schools praying and all kinds of stuff. But we're also going to go across the world because the Bible doesn't say you get to pick. And so we're going to go where we can go and send people and money where we can't go. We have a responsibility. And I pray God would protect his church from thinking our responsibility is simply to become a holy country club. 
unconcerned with the unclean on the outside. And let me say that there are institutions in this world, schools and governments and politicians and all, listen, and they have responsibilities. But they don't carry the responsibility of the mission of the church. The church does. The church, now listen, believers that are educators and believers that are in politics and believers in business, they have that, they share that. But the institution doesn't carry it. The church does. And we need to not tuck tail and blame other institutions for a lack of fulfillment of the mission that we've been called to. We've, we've, got to, we've got to understand a responsibility that flows from the resurrection of Jesus. And then Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says this. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So, so what is the third motivator for living missionally? The return of Jesus. The soon return of the king. So Jesus says these things. He's like, listen, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to get power. You're going to be my witnesses. And after he says that, he just starts to levitate like, whoop, you know. And naturally, anytime someone starts to levitate, they pay attention. The text says they watched him go up till he was out of sight. No, I don't blame them for that. And then two men in white robes just kind of appear amongst the disciples. And I like to picture it going down like this. They show up and they go. Hey, hey, guys, um, I admit, the ascension is pretty cool, but now it's time to start getting back to work. He says, why are you looking up in heaven? You ever hear somebody say in the church, you don't, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good? That's, that's, what the, that's what the men and why. That's the angel. Hey, hey, yes, that's worth taking note of. But now he has ascended. So be mindful of your eternal address, but until you get there, get to work here. Because he's going to come back. Listen, you'll see that again. But here is why the return of Jesus is a motivation for missional living. Because once he comes back, that's it. That's it. And that means we have a limited amount of time. And so we have, listen, as a church, let me just share something. I, I, carry, I feel this great tension. Because on one hand, I want to edify and equip the saints, those that are in Christ that are a part of this family of God called BT. But I can't ever let that become my sole focus. Because while there are billions across the world without Jesus that we have to be concerned with, there are literally hundreds of thousands, not millions across the street. And so we have to have this two-handed tension of, of course, building the saints up, but never doing so at the expense to where we're more, more content with what we can keep than what we can reach. And why does that matter? Because he's coming back. Any way you slice it, listen, let, let me just be transparent and reveal one of my great burdens, motivators, if I'm not careful, fears, okay? Be real honest. Just depending on where I'm at in my spirit, right? Just like you, I can have my struggles. 
is I know I've got a small window of time. Because Jesus will part the sky and come back, which I welcome. Or I'll take my last breath. But either way, I've got a limited amount of time. And I'm going to listen. Every, every believer in Jesus is a minister. Ephesians 4 tells us that some people have been called specifically to equip the church for the work of ministry. Like we've been equipped. And I've been given that call and I don't take that lightly. And I know that, that when I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face, I also know I'm going to give an account for what I've done with the time he's given me. And the fact that I believe he is coming again and I don't know when, but I know I need to be ready and I need to tell people to be ready is a motivation to live on mission, to die to myself and to seek to see as many people say yes to Jesus as possible. And so the reason why we'll send hundreds of thousands of dollars, listen, listen to me. Let me we should have celebrated this earlier. Let me celebrate something with you today. This is specific to, it's BT Church, but specifically to the McAllen family. Right now, at 11 o'clock on January 8th of 2023, for the first time, our student ministry is meeting in the new student complex on the corner of Bicentennial and Trenton. The former, the former Methodist church is now under our control there, our, and our student ministry is meeting in the south part of that building. I walked over there at the start of this service. It is packed out. I looked at Colin. I said, is this normal? He's like, no, we got more than, more than normal. There's nearly 100 teenagers in there right now. We're remodeling the North Building, by the way, and so in a few months, we'll have two buildings for middle school and high school. We'll have a, a commitment service out there, invite you to be a part of that. We'll talk about, listen, some of you have been around for a while. We, the following God's will has been a lot of stops along the way. We talked about building a new building, remodeling a building, and then we ended up with a totally different plan. And so I'm excited to tell you how we got there. But let me just, let me just say, if we didn't send hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions every year, we, we could have done that long ago. I've been here eight years. I mean, the amount of money we have sent is millions of dollars over eight years. Like, we could have, in McAllen, built a whole new student build. We, we, every campus that we have could have permanent long-term facilities if we just didn't send the money out. There's so many things that we could have done by now. But I'm thankful that we're committed to the mission to go across the street, absolutely, but to go across the world. So we'll send money to places that we can't go. And the reason why is because we as a church believe in the real resurrection of Jesus. And we believe that resurrection has brought a responsibility to us. And we believe the part of understanding that responsibility is understanding that to the good news for us, Jesus is coming back. And until he gets here, we've got to have our hands to the plow doing the work of bringing the harvest in. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. It's the laborers that are lacking. May it not be said of BT Church that we were unwilling to be the laborers. And so we are excited for our mission trips of 2023. We're excited for the dollars we can send off campus. We're excited for the work that will happen here locally through our efforts. We're excited for every Sunday we present the gospel. But we're excited that when we leave here, we, we, we don't leave the church. We go and be the church. We go and we be the church. And so let me just say this in closing. Luke chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus was talking about his return. He's talking about the return of the master. In Luke 12, 40, he says, you also be ready. He's kind of finishing this section of teaching. He says, you also be ready because the son of man, that's Jesus, because the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
I want you to, to focus on that first part. You also be ready. You know, if like me, sometimes you long for the return of Jesus, of all the the, the, the con, there's confusing things. There's different views of how Jesus comes back, and they, it's called S, you know millennial views, and it's a great thing to study. But of all that, there's one thing that we know is is, is guaranteed. He's coming back, right? Uh, we don't know when. Anytime somebody you know says, "Oh, I know this is the day he's coming back," I bet that's not the day. And we know we need to be ready and help others be ready. But there's something else we know, because in, in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus talking about that reality, he says that this good news of the kingdom will go all over the earth, and then the end will come. And so if you're like me and you want Jesus, there are some days I'm just ready for him to come back. And if we are ready for him to come back, then let's do everything we can to get the good news of the kingdom across the world. Because he says when that happens... We can, be, we can be ready. But you also be ready. Listen to me, beloved. This is what I think is clear in Scripture. To truly live a missional life as a church or as an individual is connected to being ready. And being ready is directly connected to being with Jesus. And so today, if you're in this room or you're online and you have said yes to Jesus, you have, you've received the gift of salvation, my question to you is, at the start of 2023, are you making decisions and are you practicing disciplines that keep you connected and keep you ready? Are you getting into the word of God? If you ended last year without good rhythms when it comes to quiet times and times in the scripture, then I, I always offer these suggestions. Why don't today you start reading a proverb a day for a month? It's the book of wisdom. Why don't you pick up the book of Psalms, right? It's poetry, it's beautiful. Read the first five Psalms in the next seven days, right? You don't, you don't, you don't have to make a 365-day Bible in a year plan. There's nothing wrong with that. If you, have, if you haven't read the Bible in a year, that may not be the greatest initial strategy. Pick up the Gospel of Mark, life story of Jesus, shortest of the Gospels, most miracles. Go, go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Paul wrote it. It's a great encouraging book. It's got four chapters. Read one chapter a week for four weeks. But each week, read that one chapter five times. You're like, whoa, that is super repetitive. You're right. Because the Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible says his word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. And so choose disciplines. Set aside time for prayer. Listen, you're here, amen. Be believe and belong to the body of Christ. This Wednesday, we're kicking off another Next Steps new members class. Get registered. Get registered for new members. This, this Wednesday, we're kicking off another Pathways class. It's, it's targeted for new believers, but anybody can come. It's six weeks of basics of our faith. You can come on Wednesday nights, Sundays at 9 a.m. It's offered also. Register online. Start serving, right? Start, start using your giftings in the local church. Listen, listen, be generous with what God has given you so into the mission of the church. Go deeper in your belonging. Go to a CG or men's or women's studies on Wednesday nights or just to get together with friends and not be facilitated by the church. Get together with friends and talk about Jesus, right? These are all disciplines that help us stay ready because we're staying connected. Steps of obedience. We got two baptisms. Steps of obedience keep us ready. Maybe you want to join the baptism party we're having at the end of the service today. 
You're like, I didn't know we were having one. I didn't either. Then I found out we had two, and so we got one going. Maybe there's someone, and you know, we don't always do a good job of acknowledging this. Maybe, maybe there's someone, and you have been wrestling with the fact that while everybody is called to ministry, maybe you feel that call to equip people to understand what that means. I want to share this with you, beloved, and I'm out of time. The good news is in the Bible is that Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins. But what I see with my human eyes, we're losing that battle as a church, not, not just BT, the church, particularly in the Western Hemisphere. Ten years ago, the great dilemma in the church was the number of churches shutting their doors every year. Sadly, that's still happening, but there's a new trend. It's the number of people that have said, I feel called to serve the church in vocational ministry that start and don't finish. Five years ago, the average age of a pastor was 44. That's not that old. I'll be 44 in April. Today, the average age of a pastor is 58. Listen to me. If you're 44 or older, we ain't done, all right? I'm not saying that. But do you know how the average age of a pastor goes up that significantly in a short period of time? Because the church is not doing a good job calling out young people to serve. And so maybe someone today, you've just been wrestling and you, have, you, just haven't, have, you haven't heard us articulate it, and I apologize. But maybe you feel called to ministry and today's a day to come forward and talk to someone and we can try to connect with you to figure out what does that mean. But ultimately, of all those responses that are great and good, until you say yes to Jesus, it means nothing. You can't be ready and connected until you are connected to the source. You're like a lamp with a good light bulb, but you're not plugged in. And that, that power doesn't come through religious activity. It comes through relational identity. It comes through believing in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he says he has done. It's understanding you are a sinner and you can't fix it. That your sin has put you in debt to God and you don't have the resources, you don't have the capital to make payment. And you believe that Jesus, by dying on the cross, made that payment. And then when he rose again, his resurrection, he didn't just make payment, he provided the power for eternal life. And the Bible says it is not a work to be attained, it is a faith to be believed in. And so today, if you're in this room or online, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, right here today is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to start walking in newness of life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In a few moments, we'll have a time of worship and response. But before then, if there is someone who has not yet received Jesus and you believe that you are ready, I'm gonna invite you to say this prayer with me. It's not a magic formula. It's not words to be mindlessly recited. This is a confession of your need of a savior. Where you are, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, just pray this with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm far from you. I know that I need you. And I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe he rose again in victory. And so Jesus, today I am trusting you with my life. I am surrendering to you as Lord, and I'm asking you to be my Savior. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? And Jesus, thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.